we seem to keep circling around this idea that it's, it's when you reduce things that you have the problem. And there can be two ways of reducing things. There, there can be refusing to accept a label that someone chooses to apply to themselves. And then there can also be imposing labels on people that they haven't accepted. This episode took place in the Edinburgh Festival. So it's in quite a noisy cafe. So noisy cafe lovers, this is the episode for you. Noisy cafe haters, bear with it because it's a great conversation. And uh, also at this point in the show, I'd like to let you know that this conversation is going to be around some complicated subjects at times. We touch on trans issues, including transphobia and gender dysphoria. And generally speaking, it's a very open conversation that touches on sexuality and patriarchy and all kinds of things like that. So be prepared for that kind of a conversation and enjoy the rest of the show. When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. When your background is endocrinology, maybe everything looks like it should be simple, straightforward, biological stuff. So there's an idea that if you go on testosterone blockers, for example, uh, your sex drive should diminish. What I've found is that that hasn't quite happened. It, it's more complicated than that. But I think there's a sense in which people try to fit themselves into a narrative of saying, I'm not, I'm not a sexual person because it makes you less of a threat. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. So today we're getting better acquainted with AJ. Hello, AJ. Hi. Right, so the first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me? I know you from uh, from stand-up tragedy, primarily. Um, initially from, from being online and actually from the, the, the man survey that you did. I, I found that really interesting in terms of what I've been doing as well. And, and so I kind, of, I kind of got interested in the responses you were getting to that. Yeah, so that's... And, and then from actually seeing the show you've done about a man survey and doing stand-up tragedy and stuff, so... Basically, we were people who knew each other through Twitter. Yes. And now, we've, yeah. now we're, in fact, talking in real yeah. life, but we've met in real life a few... A kind of... Yeah, yeah maybe a week ago or a few yeah. days ago at the Edinburgh Festival, which is yeah. where this is being recorded. Yes. Edinburgh Festival 2015, because yeah. I don't know when this will go out. Yeah. I've sort of, like equally been interested in the mm. sorts of things that you tweet about like you tweet mm. about the kind of issues that I'm yeah. interested in from a different perspective yeah. from a different point of view and yeah and it's 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 nice to hear that the stuff I've been doing has, has also been resonating with you yeah. like you never know you throw tweets out into the mm. ether right and yeah. uh, you don't know what people make of it and then some suddenly people start talking to you and you're like oh yeah good that cool person who I was like didn't think would, would would think I was cool enough to speak to, i.e. Uh, you uh, talking to me uh, on Twitter was like, wow, great, this is cool. The word cool is always a weird one, isn't it? Yeah, it means something different to everybody, but everyone wants to achieve it. But yeah, um, it was it, it's really good to have met you, and yeah. uh, and I was so pleased that, to have you in my audience and mm. and for you to like the show because yeah. and we won't probably talk very much about the particular shows we're doing in Edinburgh now because that that will not be relevant by the time yeah, this comes out yeah. but um in terms of how we relate to each other i my shows about masculinity and how that is presented in society and there are moments in it where i touch on trans issues yes and yeah. so because you're a trans woman i was uh, very worried that i'd get them wrong right mm. and that y- and you were you were basically the first person who'd seen it yeah. who could tell me i had yeah. and you didn't tell me no, i had and i was yeah. so pleased yeah uh yeah 
Um, and then similarly, I mean, I went to your show, and your show is about about well about what, how what would you say your show is about? <laughs> um, it's it's a show which is about banter, really. Uh, although it's it's about the idea of banter being used as a sort of get out of jail free card for any kind of prejudice, really homophobia, transphobia, misogyny, racism, anything like that. Laughing it off as humour and turning it around so that the person who is offended becomes the person who has to defend themselves because you're just saying, oh, this is just, you know, it's just a laugh. That was the hook that I did with the show. To a certain extent, it's the first show I've ever done at the Fringe, so it's actually a, a, a barely disguised anthology show in a lot of ways. It's a hook on which I was trying to hang a lot of poems I've written over the past five years. Well, that's interesting, though, because they come across very coherently, mm. so it doesn't feel like yeah. you're hanging those on hooks. So it's, it's, it's cool that, it's cool yeah. that that's the, how it yeah. came about, but for the audience, I think they really hung, hung together really I'm, strongly. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite glad that that's the case because I've worked a lot on the links between things in that show because um, sometimes there are slightly weird things where you're trying to go from, from one subject to another and you have to pace it and lead the audience through it. But I think primarily there, there are things in my show where I think I have simplified a little bit. And for example, when I started writing the show, I was trying to include, I was actually trying to include more poems in it and I was trying to make it more nuanced. And so there was a lot of stuff in the show about, one of the things, and I think this is interesting in the concept of your show, is that in my show it very much kind of is men who are the villains in it. Right. Um, and, 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 and I'm being slightly unfair when I do that because there have been occasions when I have had problems with, with cis women as well. Right. Um, and you know, and a lot of those, especially at school, and a lot of those didn't actually ever get into, uh, they, they were in the original drafts of the show, but it was becoming this kind of strange, unfocused thing where it was going everywhere, and eventually I made a, a decision that I would focus specifically on the patriarchy aspects of it, and specifically on, on, on things like, like all, all the sort of villains in the show are sort of male figures. I mean, I suppose there, there, is, there is a mention when I do one of the poems of uh, a prominent American lawyer who I shall not name because she tends to be quite litigious <laughs> towards people who criticise her for being massively transphobic, but uh, yeah, she gets a, a look in in the show very, very briefly. But generally all the villain figures in it, David Cameron, um, most of UKIP, um, Jeremy Clark, and our guys and I feel a little bit bad about doing that but at the same time I did that because otherwise the show would have kind of dissipated even more yeah but I mean I do think it is nuanced in its own way like like you may not have covered all the topics you possibly could but I didn't I didn't feel as and as a man sitting yeah. in that audience yeah. as a as a white middle-class yeah. man with like basically the enemy in yeah. the piece I didn't feel attacked. Yeah. Um, I thought that you did actually nuance it. And yeah. sure, if I'd have sat there and I'd have been Jeremy Clarkson, I'd have felt attacked. But yeah. I don't think well, you'd Jeremy mind Clarkson that reaction, should right? Should feel attacked. Yeah, if he comes exactly. To my show, yeah, know. absolutely. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I didn't feel like I didn't feel like you were saying all men, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Uh, even though I do, I do actually say kill all men in the show. But yeah, but as, as a, I, I'm saying it. I, I, this really well, it's not even bad. that. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's not even that because. Because when you came to see my show, you said, you know, because in my show yeah, I mentioned kill all men, yeah. and and I don't like that phrase. And the re but the reason why I don't like that phrase is, it's because you know, if you're a, a black man or you're yeah. a gay man or you're, or you're man. Yeah, yeah, or you're a trans man or you're or you're, or you're a, a, a kid who's being bullied extremely yeah. like I was, yeah. then you do feel in danger of your yeah. life, and you are in yeah. danger of your life. And so it's not so funny. It is yes. a little bit like a rape joke. Yes. Um, in that it's 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 uh, it's making light of a, a thing that isn't funny, and the power yeah. is going yeah. the wrong way. It's punching down, but yeah. 
but like I think it comes from a very different place when yeah. people say kill all men because it, that's a, it's a place of frustration yes not like power over yeah. someone but also I think the way you say it in your show because you said yeah. like oh god I, oh, I've, I've done the thing that you have yeah. criticised in your show and when I heard it I didn't think yeah. it was that, that way because well, what yeah. you're saying it is in the world that we live in people aren't allowed to say kill all men yeah. but they are allowed to say other things and they say free speech but yeah. they don't apply it across both of those two different yeah. areas and I think that's that's fair and, yeah. and, and, and nuanced right the thing that you said my, my show had nuance yeah. and you were like worried that yours did I did not I did not think you had an unnuanced show but anyway I'll let you speak now and okay. me. No, yeah, I, do, I do use it in, in, in the context of saying that um, because there was that whole thing the, the really interesting thing is the thing that, that, that blew up earlier this year about I'm really rubbish at remembering people's names but the, the woman at, I think it was Goldsmith she, she, she tweeted kill all white men right the, uh, oh the, yeah, yeah I can't remember was, her name but yeah. she's a, a woman of colour who yes. worked for yeah. the uh, Baha, yeah, yeah. Ba- uh, Baha Mustafa Mustafa yes yeah. Yeah. there yeah. we go we got um, it together yes um, and she got in trouble interestingly for saying kill all white men not for saying kill all men right um but again, it was the kind of thing that I I can understand people's anger with that as well. I mean, it's, to a certain extent, it's the same as the... I mean, I remember sort of 20, um, 2013 getting into massive arguments with people over the, uh, the, the Fuxes people hashtag that took off on one particular day on Twitter and having people going like, well, this is really, really offensive. And I think, yeah, it's like, it's kind of like, yeah, it's not, we're not actually talking about all cis people. <coughs> like, you know, not all not all men, not all yeah. cis people. And, and in that poem, in the context where I'm using that, I'm really only using it as an example of, you know, a double standard in yeah. speech. Um, well, I think that's an important double standard to point out yeah. because as you say in, your, in the poem, the, yeah. the people who claim to be defending free speech often yeah. are not allowing other people's speech yeah. and so they can't have it both ways. Yeah. I do believe in freedom of speech, which yeah. unfortunately means I think that hate speech is to a certain extent permissible, not by society, yeah. but yeah. by freedom. Yeah. But I think that that absolutely means that the opposite of that, criticism yeah. of that speech, must, must be, also be absolutely permitted. as yes. free. Yeah. And also, I mean, in terms of free speech there's I think um, certainly an American discourse about this the, the the current understanding is that free speech legislation only means that the government is not allowed to censor you it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be booked for a gig or you have to be given a you know a newspaper column you know those are private sector decisions and they can be made absolutely and um, freedom of speech doesn't mean you're allowed in every platform yeah I get to decide if I'm the publisher to, whether I want to publish you that is yeah. that, that's not an infringement that's, on your freedom of speech yeah that's 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 writing that's that's, that's, that's right. journalism that's, you, you can write something and it can still be spiked you know I should say we are recording in the back of a coffee shop mm-hmm. and that's why you can hear background sound sometimes people complain when there's a conversation happening nearby mm-hmm. um, but the good thing is I don't think it's going to be uh, in the same language so it's only going to be very few people who are going to be yeah. distracted by the two, yeah. two conversations although for, for people who are bilingual and particularly for this particular language this will be an enrichment yes, to their interviewing absolutely. experience yeah. if anything absolutely um, Anyway, sorry, yeah. I sort of cut yeah. you off a little no, bit. No, that's okay. Um, and and in fact, the people who were speaking in yeah. the language have left now. I kind of <laughs> thought that might be a nice hint for them, but I didn't. I feel a bit bad about it, but not that bad. I, I was, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, sorry, anyone who was looking forward to the soundscape. Yeah, there. yeah, we disappointed you. <laughs> yeah, it's in, yeah, it's been very interesting to me to see your show mm-hmm. because it. They, they come from different perspectives but we're both kind of like yeah. trying to tackle the same yeah. same issues and I, and I 
and I and I you know I, I don't think it's fair to say like I expected your mm. show in, in advance of seeing it mm. in some ways after speaking to you yeah. I expected it to kind of be a gloriously ranty yeah. piece of catharsis that I would enjoy and mm. appreciate and 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 it, it it had elements of that yeah but it was so much it was it was so much more nuanced and warm I thought it was a very yeah. warm like you were a warm presence on stage yeah. you weren't attacking the audience you yeah. cleverly thought through how to do the show without attacking the audience yeah. which is great I mean I, I was I really enjoyed it um, which is and then I, I know it's weird when people say they enjoyed my show so it's, it's always weird when people enjoy it, these things that are quite complicated for it, you it, it can be odd I think especially with some of the material I do I, I have a very strange relationship to compliments anyway yeah, which is too. that I'm, I'm very very introverted so doing shows and then having people come up to you afterwards like I, I do tend to feel quite emotionally drained after I've finished and so talking to people afterwards it's like it's, it's always nice to get feedback from people and it's nice to talk to people and, and it is really really cool but sometimes you're sort of like thinking ah um, yeah, right. so the weirdest thing I think is the and I think this is possibly a socialization thing when people go up to me after shows and they and they tell me they've cried at things in them, I always find that quite difficult to deal with because my initial my initial point my, my initial reaction to that is just go oh god I'm really really sorry, sorry. I didn't want to upset yeah. you um, and sometimes it's and sometimes they mean that in a complimentary way because they've been moved but I think yeah it's weird I don't want to thank people if they've cried <coughs> in my shows that that seems odd but, yeah, yeah. It is, that is a strange dynamic and I, I also I also find it complicated mm. receiving compliments. Yeah. To the point now where some of my friends, it seems to because I've worked on that. Yeah. I try to I try to receive compliments, yes. right? Yeah. And some of my friends now compliment me on receiving like they give yeah. me a compliment, mm-hmm. I receive it all yeah. right, and then they compliment me on the yeah. fact that I've received it all right. I'm like, hang on, now it's, you're doubling oh, this uh, up yeah. now. Yeah. I have to <laughs> receive two compliments a in a row. Of, yeah, a, a lot of I mean I, I kind of um, I I used to be a real wanker about that because what I used to do is um, I used to do the, the self-deprecating thing because I thought that was the good thing to do I thought that you know a very British thing to do uh, is it, to be self-deprecating you know so oh you're looking real nice say oh no don't I, I look like a zombie you know Kate Fox has a really good poem about that actually the, her female bodyguard poem which is how she wants to have like a, a, a female bodyguard not to, to guard her physically but to stop her doing all those things you do when, when, when you do self-deprecate yourself and when you do allow like mirrors and body image stuff to get to you and everything. But I used to do that with compliments after gigs as well. People would come up to me and like say, oh no, I really enjoyed that. And I'd be, oh yeah, thanks for that. That was really great. But I thought the second bit dragged a little bit and then yeah. I didn't nail that poem and I got a word wrong. And then finally Angela Reedman, who's a, a writer from the Northeast, actually pulled me up on this. And she was like, you do know you're basically insulting people right. by doing that. Right. And I was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, they've just said they liked your show and you're just saying their judgment doesn't matter to you at all. And I, and looking at it that way, I, yeah, she had a point. So yeah. I, I, so I, I just started dialing back on the self-deprecating thing and just, just, just saying thanks. It's, it's, it's a, an undersaid thing, I think. Thank you. Right. So, you know. And you're right as well. It is respecting the audience's yeah. opinion, and I, I think that about all, yeah. A lot of things like yeah. if, if me and my partner sit down yeah. for food that she's cooked, yeah. um, she will start deconstructing it in a similar yeah. way, like saying, "Oh no, yeah. this is not, this isn't this worked is... the way I went." And I'm like, "Hang yeah. on, I'm eating the food as well, and I yeah. want to just have my own experience. Yeah. I don't want to, don't want to know what you think you did wrong because I probably won't feel the same way." And yeah, and it, 
I don't know, like I've been thinking a lot about audiences this week. What we've With ha- having we them around, and yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a complicated thing, you know. As a, as an artist, you just don't you you have no control over them, and that's yeah. that's a good thing. But it's also a strange thing because I, I don't want control over people. Yes. But I guess also on some levels I do, like because that's like mm. I don't know because that's I've, like I want to ha- I want yeah. to I want to provoke certain emotions in yes. them. I don't want them to have the opposite of those emotions. Yes. So there is something yeah. I want, like that, you yes. know. And on and on on a perverse level, sometimes with some of the poems I do, I do actually on some level want people to be moved by them. So I, I do want people to cry sometimes when they hear them, but I don't. Uh, well, I want no. I, I don't. I want them to be affected emotionally. That doesn't necessarily have to manifest itself in tears. It can manifest itself in a variety of ways. That the, the main thing is you want that connection to happen. Um, yeah, right. And as long as that works, I think that's you know that's that's the, that's the main goal I have as a performer is that I just I want there to be that connection with the audience. I think self-deprecation to an extent is a kind of protective strategy. It, it comes out of being afraid of afraid of criticism maybe afraid actually of the fact that it's 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 an it's a stressful thing talking to people and performing in front of them and and so you're worried that people will say something bad so if you can say the worst thing first then it's almost kind of a way of protecting yourself against that it's it's like the comedian comic thing of immediately coming on stage and putting yourself down so the before the audience can get in by heckling you about that and yeah. yeah No, I really agree. I really agree and, agree and and relate quite strongly to that as well. I mean, I can I can be both things. Though I can I'm yeah. terrible when I get a, a compliment. I either go I'm either self-deprecating mm. and really down on myself, mm. or and this is much worse yeah. in some ways. I I thought it was a good show, or I think I did a good thing. So I'm just like yeah 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 sure. Yeah, oh, that's a fact. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean I, we don't need to talk yeah, about I, this. It's oh, obvious. Yeah. Um, and then that's yeah. like it looks so arrogant, but yes. really really what all it is is me just not being interested in yeah. that because I've already I've already yeah. made my own judgment but then you know it is it's, it's yeah. like you say that's still an insult either of those things yeah. are an insult to the, to the audience yeah. I, I think the biggest thing is that you are it is a massive adrenaline drop after performing you know you perform you're, you're getting through it on the adrenaline you stop and there's that there is a drop in adrenaline levels yeah and right. in some ways one of the things that's really nice about being somewhere like the fringe is that you don't you don't have to, you can kind of short circuit that a bit because you'll have to go and see something else, you'll have to do a spot somewhere else or whatever. So you kind of have a little bit of a drop and then you get on and do things. I think I've had, I've had gigs sometimes that I've done elsewhere, like London gigs are a lot like this because a lot of London poetry gigs, you get really good audiences for them, but they happen during the week. So, because I'm from Newcastle, going down to London is like, to do a gig is like kind of a big thing for me and I have to have like a day to get down there and a day to get back a lot of the time. So I'm like, you know, after a gig, post a gig adrenaline drop and I'm wanting to talk to people and I wanted to, you know, maybe go and get a drink afterwards or something like that. And, you know, you do this and you do these gigs and then the audience just leave because they've all got work the next day. So, like, suddenly there's, like, there's maybe you and the person who's organised the gig and they've got work the next day as well. Yeah. So you're just sort of, like, on your own. And, and, there's, and it's, it's much nicer having to deal with that adrenaline drop thing when you're in Edinburgh surrounded by other performers that you can go and speak to than it is to, say, go within five minutes from being on the stage at Rich Mix to being in, in the Shoreditch tube station and just go, going through what is essentially a, a massive, massive adrenaline crash. This dovetails quite well into the second question I ask everybody, which mm-hmm. uh, is, what do you do now? Ah, right, okay. Well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I 
Do you mean like just just what do I do? You generally? can take it any way oh, okay. you want, really. Um, I'm a, I'm a poet, a spoken word artist, which means that I stand in rooms and I talk to people about things in a structured metrical fashion, most of which tends at present to be about uh, about issues that confront me as as a, as a trans person. So generally, you know, misogyny, sexism, transphobia. This is always the bit where it sounds really heavy. What I'm talking about, you know. But you do sometimes you do that in a in a comic way yeah and some you sometimes you do that but in a, a, a moving way or whatever but yeah. it's it's not it's not as heavily academic or serious yeah. as it sounds when you break it down yeah I, I, yeah I try to sugar the pill a bit for the audience I guess sometimes that's deliberate I mean I have a poem I do called the bathroom thing which is a poem about about trans bathroom panic and that is, is deliberately structured in a way that it starts out and it's kind of funny and kind of silly and then ends with a really really like heavy emotional bit at the end yeah which I often actually do if I can do it in venue where I've got a stage I'll actually sit down on the stage at the end bit because suddenly changing that relationship with the audience going from being vertical to actually sitting down it does really really change how how you relate to them it changes the energy in the room it changes the this is if you've got if you've got a large audience in at the time um, it, it does change the energy and that's in, in, in terms of the question of what I do now one of the things I'm interested in in exploring as a performer is, is not so much the words on their own, although it's still going to be spoken word, there's still going to be poetry, there's still going to be stuff like that in it, but physically exploring the difference between the relationship uh, between myself and the audience. So for it, I mean, there have, I, it's, not, it's not in the version of the show that I'm doing now, because for various reasons I, I found in, in the venue I was doing and the space was in it wasn't working, but the version of this show that I did in previews, for example, there is, there is a bit where I, where I am sat on my knees, essentially straddling a chair in front of the audience, um, doing a very, very angry poem about taking revenge on the patriarchy. And there's just something weird about how that, how being on your knees in front of an audience changes the, the dynamic with them. And how you can play with that in different ways. And the ending of this show, that's very, very, it's a very, very <coughs> dominant position. There's a piece that I'm working on that I'm going to be doing at Rich Mix, um, at Queer Say, where I'm going to be doing something similar, but I'm hoping to actually make it work in a very, very different way and actually have it look like a much, much lower status position in front of the audience and see how that works from that. I mean, it's really interesting to me because my, my background is in theatre, right? Mm -hmm. I, I studied theatre yeah. at uni. Um, and obviously I know a lot of poets now. I know a lot yeah. of people who do spoken word. And I also have a background in, in poetry. You know, I'm quite, I'm quite all over the place in the arts. And most of the poets I meet don't really think as much about space and yeah. uh, the relationship between between them and the audience as yeah. I feel like you do. Like I'm really interested in how it seems to me that you're 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 moving from or within spoken word mm. towards a more theatrical or more kind of yeah space space yeah. physical kind of yeah. element to your work. Yeah, there's Daniel Bai, who does really, really amazing sort of theatre shows. He, he has this concept that he calls meeting your audience, which is that you don't, you don't have a fourth wall, necessarily. I think, right. I think in a lot, of, a lot of ways with the spoken word, you often don't have a fourth wall anyway because of the venue that you're performing in. But I do think that we sometimes... I think we sometimes meet the audience less than we actually think. That we do. One of the things that's really been interesting about the show, the way I'm doing it uh, in, in the venue that I'm doing it in is I've, I've had to adapt it for the venue and that means that I'm actually paying more specific attention to the audience in that venue. And yeah, I'm not sure there's such a conscious desire to move in the direction of it being more theatrical. But yeah. 
I mean, I don't know. The word theatrical might almost yeah. be a, a red herring because it's yeah. like it's a, it's a word I'm trying to use for something. Like, yeah, yeah. More more about your bod- your body yeah. and the space yes. and how that that works uh, rather than like theatrical makes people think proscenium arch blah 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 yeah. and it's not and it, yeah. that's not how I'm meaning it. Yeah. Well, there's I mean there's there's that Marina Abramovich quote which is that theatre is is ketchup and performance is is blood. You know, it's like right. um it's nice uh, that you know it's what what I'm trying to do is 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 make pieces more performance in that sense so there is an element of taking a risk in front of the audience there's an element of doing something that might not work that there's an element of, of of making the offer to the audience of saying i'm going to put myself in a relationship with you that is not the one that you're used to and i actually think in spoken word that's something that's really really worth doing at the minute because we have and it's something that's only happened very recently but there seem to have been a lot of discussions lately about slam voice Yep. and about the pati- and, and uh, indeed uh, there's that, that poem that Sarah Thomason does where she actually talks about slam voice um, and, and I, I really like that poem because I like slam and I like a lot of really really good slam poems but it does reach a point where everybody suddenly sounds the same and everyone is modulating their voice to go for the same kind of emotional hits and they're pausing in the same ways and in a sense that's great because it means people are thinking about craft and it means they're thinking about about how they perform and everything but what they're not actually doing is they're not thinking about how they perform they're looking at something that's been successful and they're copying it that's fine because a lot of a lot of art is developed by imitation that there, there, there are poems that I've got in in my show that started out as me consciously thinking about some you know at the style of another poet that I liked and thinking if I was them and I was writing about this how would I write about it? Which which can be useful because it takes you out of of necessarily getting bogged down in, in writing the way that you, you normally would. And I've also had conversations with people who have seen things that I've really, really liked who've then said they didn't like it because they didn't think it actually seemed like proper spoken word. You know, there's an idea that spoken word is, is just is right. just a person standing on stage talking. And I yeah. don't think it should be. I think I think you should use the space, you should you should stand up, you should sit down, you should not be on stage, you should be in the audience, you should have the audience on stage with you, you should start to interrogate that and make it make it a different thing than what it is. Because I think ultimately that is going to make it a more interesting genre. Um, I think if we all start sounding the same, then there's no actual reason for for, for the average person to listen to most of us because if you if there's there's no point in everyone sounding like Kate Tempest because no one can sound like Kate Tempest better than Kate Tempest yeah. so figure out who you are figure out what your voice is and figure out what you can do that's different and then do that and so when did you like this realize that you had a voice to figure out like what, what when did you kind of get interested in using words in this kind of way right um, I I think that this is a really weird question for me to answer because I'd always been interested in writing and I, when I was much, much younger, I, I did an English degree at university and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with my life. So this, this was when I was still presenting as male and still using my old name. And I, 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 I did a creative writing MA, I, I did some writing, I did a bit of like performing at open mics and things like that. Never really got anywhere because I think most of what I was writing there wasn't wasn't real. It wasn't it wasn't actually me. It was it, it was me trying to um, to do stuff that would be popular with audiences that would that people would like that would get a laugh. I, I wrote a lot of comedy poetry right. at that time, right. um, and, to, and to the point where I began to think that was actually. And I do also. I mean, one of the things that 
the, the, the comedy I like is comedy where, again, there is a sort of offer to the audience where there is a kind of sacrifice, where there is a kind of mm. saying, you know, I'm going to... So Stuart Lee obviously does this with, right. with his running around, having a nervous breakdown on stage thing during, if you prefer a milder comedian, please ask for one. But also people like um, Josie Long, where she does stuff about having having like a really bad body image and she right. made... What I hate is humour that is... I, I, I'm not a huge fan of one-liner comics. Right. Because it just seems to me that that's just exploiting the audience. That's just getting a laugh out of the audience quickly and not giving them anything right. to, 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 to seize on. And I, I'd, I'd got into that relationship with audiences to an extent as a writer that I wanted, I wanted to do stuff that would get a laugh. And, and I eventually stopped because I, I got married. I, I had an, an unsuccessful teaching career because it turns out when you're an English teacher, you have to do like a shed load of marking. So, you know, I, I wasn't prepared for that. And I just decided one, one night when I had been up till 1 a.m. again, marking everything, I just thought, and I'd only gone into this because loads like my, most of my family are teachers, so it was just like an expected thing that you would go into Solidarity teaching. Solidarity on that. Yeah. All my family is. Yeah. Much, yeah. <laughs> it's like I just you know it's like it's like I can understand people who like you know families of cops you know it's just expected or families of like people who are in like the fire brigade or something you know it's like I can un I can understand that pressure to do what the rest of the family right. do but I sucked as a teacher so I quit that I got a job in a bookshop which I really loved and I just kind of drifted out of writing for a long time. And then a few years after that, I'd gotten divorced and I'd gone through a sort of period of soul searching. And this was the point when I actually kind of admitted to myself that I was trans. I, I read uh, Fun Home by Alison Bechdel, actually. And for some reason there was something about the, 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 the final, Fun Home is about how Bechdel's father killed himself basically because he didn't come out as being gay. And there's this fantastic bit at the end about uh, the concept of erotic truth. And somehow something about that um, led me to start thinking, okay, maybe I should start being honest about this stuff. And I wrote this long rambling email to my friend Kate and was like, you know, I, I, I kind of don't think I'm actually a guy. And she was like, well, I had been wondering at what point you were actually going to tell me that, but thank you. Um, and, and then I started writing stuff which was actually about this, um, which, which was actually about, about my own experiences. But the first poem that I actually wrote that dealt with this directly was a poem called Eggshell, which was a poem about, in a massive, massive LGBT poet cliché, it was a poem about my father. Um, and it was a poem about my father not accepting my gender expression. Right. Um, and, and not accepting the fact that I was unmanly. And, and that was kind of like the first thing I actually wrote that I thought was honest. And so I, when I have to answer the question of how I wound up writing, I, I, think, I think I've only actually been writing properly for about five years. I'd written stuff before then, but it wasn't, it was, it wasn't, it, you know, it was playing around. It wasn't real. And I think it's only been real since then. Right. I mean, I can, I can understand that to a certain extent in terms of, like, when you hit that first thing that, yeah, mm. that the, the seems to be real. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess, like, I mean, like, when, when you were a child, did you mm. write? I did, I did. And actually that was one of the things that I always got rewarded for at school, right. was writing, you know, clever, swatty kid. Um, I was actually, the teachers at the first school I had considered me to be functionally illiterate, which, which was an interesting thing to deal with. Um, my mother had to teach me uh, how to read during the summer holidays because for some reason the, the, the lessons that they were trying to teach me at school just, just weren't working at all, which is, which is maybe a reason why I have a certain level of distrust 
of of mainstream education right. anyway. But yeah, I did. I, I I wrote as a child. I did that whole thing of, of doing you know reading stories in front of the class. I'm sorry, I'm I'm cringing. <laughs> You're cringing, uh, but yeah. that's pretty much what you do now. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it's. Yeah, so it, it's something. I suppose it's something I've always done. Yeah. But it, in the same way, I, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm going to start self-deprecating now again. I'm. I always think one of the reasons I maybe do it is because I seem to be very, very good at doing things with language, but not so good at doing things anything else. Like I can't, I can't play any musical instruments. Um, I can't. I can't really sing. I can sing a bit if no one's watching, <laughs> and I feel fine. But as soon as I imagine there's an audience, I just start thinking, I can't do this. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not a very visual person. I'm not, you know, my, I can, you know, I can sketch out a map of something, but I can't draw something figuratively. Um, so basically, all I actually seem to be able to do is write and perform a bit. But that's um, that's it's yeah. all right to have like skills that like in in some areas and not other areas yeah. though. I mean, we can't all be good at everything. Well, this is yeah, I this mean, is true. And, and you know and I think you do um, both of those things like write and and perform really well which again as we've established is going to be something that's like hard for you to like respond yeah. to yeah. Um, but you know uh, yeah I, I, I kind of live in awkward so I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. always walking oh, into I, that I, I those awkward, awkward places yeah. yeah another thing that that strikes me of what I know of your work is so I mean you 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 touch a lot on your your, your experience of being trans and your experience of not just your your uh, personal transition but mm. also the way that society treats yes. you yeah. within within yeah. that and, and another thing that it seems to me that you touch on quite a lot is is BDSM and stuff like mm -hmm. that, like yeah. an alternative, if you like, alternative yeah. inverted commas, because I don't think there's a mainstream, I don't, I, I don't I, think you can have alternative yeah. sexualities, because well, there's so many kinds. That I, I, I don't know, I kind of I kind of like the idea of alternative sexualities, because it just makes me think about, you know, alt-rock. Right, you right, know, right, it's yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, but hipster sexuality, right. although no, I have no interest in, in sexual interest in hipsters whatsoever, <laughs> but yeah. You're... you're you're already touching on things that I guess are are considered to be transgressive. Uh, yeah. Kind of that's an accidental pun. Yeah. But then you're adding to that even more layers of like things that kind of yeah. other you in a bit of commas. Yeah. Yes. I mean, ha yeah. Well, there's, there's a degree to which part of that is that that's just me. But there's there's an element in that one of the things you tend to find with transitioning and, and, and with the way that a lot of trans people position themselves socially and try to be accepted. This especially tends to be something that happens with older trans people. I think it's not something that younger trans people are as interested in. Is by almost trying to position yourself as being asexual. Not that there's anything actually wrong with being asexual, but there seems to be a kind of deliberate move to go, oh no, I'm, I'm not interested, you know, you know, I'm not interested in all that sex stuff. No, it's, no I'm just, all I just want to do is be a woman and not, you know, not, not have any of that business going on and and I'm totally the opposite of that I, I kind of, yeah. that one of the weirdest things that actually happened was when I went on testosterone this is the other thing um, uh, you you get told and there is a, a really odd understanding in the medical community maybe it's it, you know when when you have a hammer everything looks like a nail when your background is endocrinology maybe everything looks like it should be simple straightforward biological stuff so there's an idea that if you go on testosterone blockers for example uh, your sex drive should diminish what I've found is that that hasn't quite happened. It, it's more complicated than that. But I think there's a sense in which people try to fit themselves into a narrative of saying, I'm not 
I'm not a sexual person because it makes you less of a threat right. and, and it makes you more acceptable to society. It's respectability politics, right. basically. I mean, it's, yeah, and it's, I guess that's something that's common, like, yeah, in, in, any, in any position. Yeah. Right? So that's, that, that resonates quite a lot yeah. with what I've observed of, of, you know, older gay people. Yes. Of, like, positioning themselves as, like, you know, yeah, I'm not a sexual yeah. threat. I'm not yeah. going to try and, I'm not going to hit on any men yeah. ever. Uh, I just want to be left alone to be able yeah. to marry in a nice heteronormative way, but we won't yeah. have sex. Yeah. As, as as married couples should, I think. Is <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. What's what's marriage for if not to stop you having sex? No, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of like to a degree. If you look at sort of um, being gay in the nineteen fifties, pre Stonewall sort of thing, and stuff at like the Metachine Society, which was very much into in, into respectability politics and into being, you know, yes, we're gay, but we're not threatening. And then you had the actual Stonewall riots, which were kind of like, you know, well actually we do want to be a bit threatening because you're threatening us so right. could you know could you stop arresting us please yeah, if you want you non-threatening know. people stop threatening people yeah it's funny how people always say that 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 violence begets violence argument only ever seems to come out when you know when people are rioting you know when people are rioting in ferguson it's oh we shouldn't be violent because violence begets violence but when cops are killing kids it's not you know yeah. cops shouldn't be doing that because violence begets violence so i fairly deliberately write about about sex and about my sexuality as, as well as my gender because because I think I think it's important to not be playing into that respectability politics thing. I the the thing I say is if 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 you were if, if it was a cis writing about this stuff, yes it would still be considered transgressive. Yes it would still be considered odd and weird and there would be huge amounts of pressure on them to conform to a respectability politics gender as well. But there is an extra level that gets added on to that when you're trans because it becomes almost you know, you, you start getting into that realm of stuff like the, the whole the whole autogynophilia nonsense, which is the idea that being trans itself is just a fetish. I actually think that in general, psychology deals very, very badly with sexuality. Right. Well, most of them have been considered mental health issues for a long time, well, mental illnesses <laughs> yeah. as was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, homosexuality was only declassified from the DSM in 1973. And there will still be people who are involved in psychology who, who, who disagree with that, you know. That it, Psychology, this, this is where I get into my um, anti-psychology rant, um, which is not, I, I like a lot of psychological stuff, I think it's really good. I, I have studied psychology at, a, you know, post, not, not postgraduate level, but sort of conversion degree level. But there's a degree to which the foundations of psychology are based on an effort to control and to police female sexuality. You think about you know, Breuer, Charcot, um, Freud, mm -hmm. you know, the earliest, the earliest stages of it are all about trying to regulate female sexuality and say, this is abnormal. This is, you know, this is something we have to control and classify. Even, I mean, in the show last night, I mentioned as, as a way of explaining cis, Hirschfeld, who did, the, the, the German guy who did the, the big sort of category of sexual stuff and, and his, his idea that if you can have transvestism as a category, you have to have cisvestism as well. Right. You know, because of, and that categorizing thing is always an attempt to to put to fix and to pin down a subject which is constantly amorphous and constantly changing. Right. And I think stuff like autogynophilia is part of that. I think there's an idea in psychology that the only way to understand something is by declaring it to be a paraphilia, to be to declare it to be a you know a, a kink. So I mean. I haven't looked at the DSM-5 yet. I'm pretty sure in the DSM-4 there is a little bit of stuff about how, how mas masochism especially, um, and Bansoidism as well, are, are regarded as 
as being, you know, psychologically disordered conditions. Right. And I think the only thing that I think should be regarded in that respect is anything where consent is not being given freely in an informed way. So I think you can definitely have a kind of sadism that, that, that falls into that. I don't, I don't think, you know, the, it, it, it's, it's really hard for me to think of a situation where you could actually... Mm, yeah, where you could actually, being a masochist, take someone's consent away from them. It's, it's probably possible. In fact, if you're not, if you're talking from the bottom, then yes, yeah, it is, it is possible to do that. But I'm rambling now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, no, rambling's fine. Mm. I mean, that's how that's how conversation is made. You know, I mean, this isn't so much mm. a performance as a captured moment. So it's it, yeah. it's okay to to, right. to just yeah. converse yeah. like people. Yeah. But I mean, it's interesting what you're saying. Like that, yeah. I think, and I think sexuality, not even, I mean, it, you know, you're right to say, to, to emphasise female sexuality is, mm. is controlled by, by psychology, yeah. but I mean, you know, a, a lot of the beef I have with Freud, and I have a few yeah. beefs with, uh, with, with the sort of, for similar reasons as you, but it's to do with like controlling male sexuality as yeah. much as anything else. And it is, and it is, and I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's always interesting that sexuality is like, is, is the thing that they use, is mm. used to control us. So yeah. it has to be yeah. like the right kind yeah. of sexuality, whatever, yeah. whatever that is, and that is used then to control people. And, and you know, you see that in, in any system of control, like when, yeah. when religion is controlling, it's, it's generally controlling people using sexuality to sort of like keep them, keep them in, yes. in, in their yeah. place. And, and, you know, not to say that all, that there aren't many religions that don't function that way yeah. and, that, and that and not to say that atheists can't control people through mm. their sexualities either and yeah I mean I, I find it I find it interesting as, as well I mean I I I'm not I mean I'm not I'm not kinky I guess mm. I, I'm I'm pretty vanilla in my taste but I am in an open relationship mm. I am I have been to sex parties and stuff like that occasionally um, and I mean, even like having this conversation in a co in a coffee I was, shop. I was about to say around is, we, are, we are recording this is, in a coffee shop. It's so, a very yeah. strange thing to yeah. be doing, mm. um, and it you know, and all of these things are sort of they they yeah. don't feel transgressive to you because you, mm. like when you're living them, and, yeah. and that's one of the things you know. You go to a sex sex mm. party. It's really mundane. It's just people. Oh god, that's um, boring things. Yeah, and and yeah. and and yet and yet it has the words have this power, especially mm. in a public performative space. Mm. And you're using those words yeah. in a public performative space all the time. Yeah, and you're using those powerful words. I mean, you know, it's it's it's, it's less it's it's much less comfortable now. I'm sure than it is when this you're on is, stage. Oddly, oddly enough, this is, this is not the first public uncomfortable conversation I've had in the past 24 hours. I, I ran into a, 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 I ran into Faye Roberts on the way back from something because again we're in Edinburgh and I was talking to her on the street and I'd not seen her for about a year so we were talking about the effect of hormones and things like that and, and I was talking about the, the the, the, the really weird thing about being on testosterone blockers is you, you, you lose a lot of strength. You, 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 it's harder to put muscle on, it's harder to, it's harder to lift this massive backpack I have right. next to me on the seat here. But I was talking about the effect of, of the blockers and I suddenly had a really weird thought that, because it's Edinburgh, it's past midnight, there's like drunken people, there's drunken guys walking past and I suddenly thought this is one of, the, this is one of those situations where I don't actually feel safe talking about this. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to not talk about that in that situation, but I suddenly become, became very aware of who was going past and whether they were listening. And, yeah. Right. Maybe, I mean, part, partly one of the reasons why I talk about this stuff in my writing is because I would like there to be less of a taboo about 
it anyway. I think if people talked honestly about their sexuality more generally and about their gender expression and about their gender identity because a lot of people, you know, I think don't necessarily fall as neatly yeah. into straightforward categories. We know that physically gender is, is, is on a continuum anyway, that there are, there are um, I, and I think you mentioned this in your show actually, there's yeah. the idea that there might actually be six different... Yeah, six different combinations yeah. of different chromosomes. Yeah. So like the, the one we always think of about sex is, is, is X, Y and yeah. XX, but there are other uh, chromosomes yeah. that determine el other elements of sex. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's all a brave new world. It's all stuff we haven't yeah. discovered yet. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I think that is exciting yeah. if we could just stop yeah. hating each other while we're discovering yeah. it, right? I mean, gravity existed before anyone gave it a name. It's that it's that whole thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and the, the, there's, there's that whole yeah. thing where people use, like, high school biology as an attempt to try and, like, undermine a lot of, sort of, gender and sex science and, and you feel like going yeah but high school biology is simplified for a reason high right. school physics is simplified for a reason there's a reason why people study this stuff at graduate level and that's because it's more complicated than you think it's more complicated than you think is nearly like appropriate to any pretty thing, much anything, anything you're yeah. thinking about yeah and that's okay yeah as long as we it's when we fall into these real doctrinal positions yeah. and we don't want to like consider the complications when it all goes yeah. Pear shape. I mean. Yeah. It's it's uh, what was, um, was it Niels Bohr who said that if you think you understand quantum theory, you don't. Yeah. Um, and probably. I think that applies to quite a lot of things. Well, he's my, I'm, he's like I love. Uh, there's a quote I love by Niels Bohr. Listeners to the podcast will be sick to <laughs> death of me mentioning it. But I mean, it's it's he he says uh, there are trivial trivial truths and there are um, profound truths. Yeah. A trivial the opposite of a trivial truth is a lie. The opposite of a, a profound truth is a profound truth. It's, they they both yeah. coexist at the same time. And yeah. I feel like that's kind of one of the things I'm talking about in my show is that yeah. kind of like men are the problem, but we're also not the problem. Yes. Both of those things yeah. are absolutely yeah. true you know it's yeah. yeah I mean I have this in my show as well there's there's, there's a point when um, I do a poem called my revelation will not be trivialized which I wrote because it is slightly based on my revolution will not be televised yeah. it was the week after Gil Scott Heron had died I'd thought I'd seen loads of people writing Gil Scott Heron tribute poems and I thought I'm not gonna write one of those and then something happened and I thought yeah I could write something that, 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 that uses that structure but that's a poem about labels, and I start it by doing a thing, because what I hate is the sort of reductive position where people are like, um, you know, oh no, you shouldn't use that word to describe yourself because we shouldn't have these labels. I think you should absolutely respect the words that people use to describe themselves, that's fine. But at the same time, I also think that I'm not I'm not just a label, and so those those two things are both true, you know, right. you should, that we, we need labels, but we also are more than them, and I think, I think it's perfectly possible to believe both things. And I think maybe a lot of the problem is that it's is that, you know, a lot of people don't. A lot of people tend to think that things are binary, that things are either or situations. And that is and I suppose maybe drawing it back to discussion of sex, that there's an element of that as well, that the reason sexuality is pleased is because there's an idea that there's a, a wrong sexuality and a right sexuality. Yeah. The only thing I think that you can use to define that meaningfully is consent. Yeah. Um, and anything else, as long as it's consensual and as long as it's informed <laughs> consent, i.e. the person making the decision is of a rational capacity to make it, then that's, you know, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Even, even hipsters. 
Right, even yeah. hipsters yeah. can have sex. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's... And I think... I often think that, that one of the things I, I, I often talk about is how I think that heterosexuals need to come out a lot more, mm, like, yeah. about what they actually do. Yeah. I mean, because there is such variety across all Ooh, areas and everybody yeah. has different interests but but but, yes. but 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 like because no one talks about mm. it everyone thinks they're weird yeah you know and it's so frustrating well this comes i mean the the, the story that a friend of mine once told me um who who knew someone who'd worked in um in a sex shop and one of the things that they found out was they they'd assumed that and I'm going to try and use a certain amount of elegant variation in what I say here on the grounds that we are in a coffee shop. Yeah. But they assumed that the uh, the sexual prostheses, let's say, that they had on sale, which would usually be fitted into harnesses, if your listeners can get what I'm getting yeah. at here, um, they assumed those would mainly be sold to lesbians. And what they were really surprised by was that they were selling a huge amount to straight couples yeah. who wanted to try pegging. And... Yeah, that's something that's, that straight people should come out about, right. you know? It's yeah, and straight people who are not having penetrative, penetrative yes. sex at all, yeah. but are having happy sex lives, or straight people who are in open relationships, or yeah. whatever. I mean, you know, I, 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 that was one, you know, what it was nerve, even though it's not, like, sure, I, I've got loads of, like, structural uh, privilege, and it's yeah. easy for me to, to come out about mm-hmm. uh, this thing where I'm, it's not, it's not visible, I'm not in danger in loads of ways, yes. but it definitely was a strange thing to like go, right, let's come out about our open relationship yeah. and and, and to, to, to sort of like decide when to do that. Like I couldn't do that yeah. until I stopped working with children for the council. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, 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 and you because know, of course right. if you do that because you're a pervert. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and and that's how it goes. Just They go, ooh, something transgressive, so they're perverts, they're, they're yeah. the worst of the worst. And you know, perverts are perfectly, like perverts aren't problems. Like right. it's all about consent. Like, you yeah. say perverts are fine as long yeah. as they're being consensual about it so this whole idea yeah. that there's dirt, dirtiness and disgustingness yeah. Yeah. Is, is so weird I mean which is not to say that people who enjoy being dirty and disgusting well, no, should this, not continue this is the, yeah, yeah yeah this is the, the, the thing we don't want to alienate the the, the the splosh fans out there yeah there's 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 a lot of taboo about sexuality I, I don't know entirely where a lot of that comes from I mean one of the things that's interesting again we're doing this in Edinburgh at the minute the, the same show that I'm on in, in, in my venue you immediately after me is Chella Quint doing Adventures in Menstruation and um, again that's something that is such a massively taboo subject to talk about to the degree that you have stuff like that all the discourse around sanitary products is about minimising the fact that they're there having boxes that are easily disguised as something else having wrappers that, that are supposedly completely stealth and completely inaudible and there is, there is a certain amount of shame that people feel about their bodies and maybe actually this is one of the reasons why trans people are, so, are such a, an object of, of othering and weird fascination but also revulsion to people um, and that is because we force people to think about their bodies, we force people to think about how they are male, we force people to think about how they are female, we force people to think about what they use as their criteria for it. And once you start doing that, once you start thinking about what the criteria are, it becomes really, really hard to pin those down to particular essence. Even when you get down to the chromosomal level, it's much more complicated than people think. And and maybe people don't like thinking about their bodies in that way. Or maybe when people do people do think about them, what they do is they think about them in they like they like to have them in that categorized way so that they can so that everything seems easy. And as soon as something upsets that category 
it makes them really uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I think that that seems absolutely right to me. I mean, from my different structural position, yeah. but seeing people react in these ways, it does seem to me to be that. And yeah. I think so much of the way that people all of, like hate generally comes from a, a complicated place of like, yeah, being afraid of difference and that yeah. categorization thing you're talking about, but also self-hate. Like, I, yes. I always feel yeah. there's so much self-hate, particularly yeah. in like like men who are violent. It, 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 there always feels a lot of self-hate in there. But also, I think. And this is again, like yeah. it's complicated to say these things. But when I observe women, um, certain feminist <laughs> attitudes towards trans people it seems to me to often be about, and to sex workers as well, yeah. to be a lot about self-hate and yes. self-revulsion. Yeah. And I think there's a certain amount of positioning in the system as well that you know, if you're, if, if you, you can get yourself above certain categories of women, then you're in a higher position in the hierarchy, right. um, to a degree. But um, but no, there's, there's, there, there is definitely that. That, that hatred is very well. I've noticed very, very violent guys are often oddly sentimental as well. Yeah. And I don't, I'm, you know, there's something weird about that. I don't, I don't know if you get that as much with stuff, with stuff like those forms of feminism that you're talking about, but, um, yeah. There's an, there's an odd, I, I think there's an odd relationship with your own emotions when you're doing things like that. Often, often what you're doing is you're projecting outward. I mean, the, the classic example of this I use is the um, the fact that there are a lot of people who there there is a, a kind of perception that that, that that there that there are trans people out there who try to pressure people into having sex with them by saying if you don't have sex with us you're transphobic, which seems to me to be a very very odd tactic to use because why would you want to have sex with someone who doesn't want to have sex with you unless you're a rapist? But and and the, the people who always throw that that particular tactic around are people who often in the 1980s identified as political lesbians, which which is essentially people who weren't really lesbians, didn't really have any kind of sexual charge in, um, in being involved with women, but felt they should for feminist reasons. And you just think like that's so clearly projection. You're so clearly projecting, you know, your own issues about this onto other people. You know, you've you've you've, you've probably had sex with people because you felt it was ideologically correct, and and not really, you know, not really enjoyed it. And you know, that's that's something that 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 you should should deal with. But it's not, you know, I, I mean, if there are, you know. It's, it's again. It comes down to this thing of of placing a, a, a grid almost over sexuality. You know, the, the idea the idea to me that you could that you could be sexual in a political way is kind of politics are absolutely part of your sexuality. Your sexuality is part of your politics. Yeah, it's um, hard to it's, know yeah, which way around. Yeah, that is, yeah. Um, but I don't think. I think ultimately, if, like you know, I mean, I have a poem about this that isn't in the set that I, that I do at this show, but it's it's about that idea that you know, if, if, there are a number of things that if someone rejected me because of them, I would be like, well, I, I think that's that's a very silly decision you've made there. And in the context of the poem, there's stuff like uh, the fact that I'm fat, the fact that I am extremely pallid and do not tan very well, so don't have a bronzed physique, the fact that I do these really angry sort of ranty shouts poems and so this might be considered to be off-putting to people but actually you know I'm not I'm not like that privately and all that sort of stuff but 
if someone is going to like not want to have sex with me because I'm trans, yeah, I, I have no interest in having sex with someone like that. You know, like I don't, I can't see how they'd enjoy it. I can't see how I'd enjoy it. I don't see what the point is of, of going through a couple of hours of something you're not going to enjoy just so you can, I don't know, tick something off in your I've had sex, but you know. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I imagine it's like as much as a trans person, I'm sure that it's as much like there's a danger of you being fetishized in a really annoying oh, way God, yes. on yeah. one side. And then on the yeah. other side, there's people who are saying that your 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 gender identity is um, predatory yes. sexuality. Yes. So that's a kind of like real horrible pincer that you're in. Um, it, yeah, it's 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 an incredibly weird thing to have to deal with, actually. Um, the whole the whole chaser thing. I I block a lot of people online. Basically, <laughs> I think that's the easiest way of explaining it. And I get a lot of I get a lot of Facebook messages from men with you know sort of like really unflattering selfies of themselves, their portraits, which are just which are just literally just like hi, let's chat. And I'm like I don't know who you are. What you you know why are you doing this? And the, and this and this is not just a trans thing. Loads of women get yeah, this it's, as it's, well. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, you know as, as far as universal womanhood goes, that's yeah. kind of more 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 universal womanhood than anybody who spouts nonsense about universal yeah. womanhood ever hits on, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think maybe with, with being trans, being trans is, is a lot actually, and this is where you wind up, um, because I hate that whole easy analogy that a lot of people make, which is like being trans is a bit like being black, because I think what that does is it invisibilizes the fact that you can be trans and black. Right, and, you know, and that's that's much you know you're in a much worse position you know in in physically you're in a lot more danger if you are trans and a woman of color just like you can be trans and a sex worker just like you can be you yeah. know there's um, it's not it's not as again grids it's not a straightforward thing you yeah. can be in various places but there is I mean there's a certain degree one of the ways in which being trans is like being black or like being fat and obviously again that's an intersection that can can intersect or like being disabled or like being you know being an amputee is is that you do have the whole chaser thing that happens right with, with, with people fetishizing you for who you are and and not being interested in you and it's that's always a really really weird thing to deal with and again this is one of those things that I don't know if this is is a generational thing in the trans community but I I know that a lot of you know where, where I live in Newcastle there's there's a particular bar in in Newcastle where a lot of, of trans people hang out older trans people and a lot of guys who are sexually into trans people go and the dynamic there is that they that they find a kind of validation in the interests of these guys and you get the same stuff with, with, with there are various websites that are used in the community often by older people which again are about this about about sort of seeking out the whole chaser thing and i think one of the things that's nice is that is that we're talking about this and and there seems to be more acknowledgement among younger trans people that actually this is weird and this is you know not that it's wrong to shame people for being into you know um for having an attraction to trans women, I, I think, I think, but I think they're two sides of the same coin. Saying I'd never have sex with someone because they're trans, or saying you only have sex with someone because they're trans. They're as it's 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 the same as benevolent sexism. You know, it's like it's based on othering someone for a for a characteristic one way or another, and it's 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 a really weird thing to deal with and. I don't want to, you know, because, I mean, there's that whole Janet Mock thing that you shouldn't, you know, attack men who are attracted to trans women because they're sometimes, you know, othered for that as well. Yeah, but it's how you're attracted, like, yeah. how you express that. It's like, yeah. it's the same with 
like it's, it's okay for yeah. people to be attracted to yeah. or uh, to a race or a yeah. or or more to a race maybe yeah. than another race or whatever yeah. as long as you're you're being attracted to a person yes. rather than yeah. a, a, a kind of symbol or an object or, or whatever you want yeah. and a, i mean objects is a com Object's a complicated word. I'm personally not necessarily against being objectified um, yeah. because I think we are physical beings, and that's a kind of object. But it's but again, it's it's when it's when there's only that, and there's not there's not you know the, the recognition of some someone's humanity, right? Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, you know, there I am mansplaining. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, you're absolutely right. And I think uh, again, yeah. Sometimes in, in a consensual situation, it is nice to be objectified. Yeah, of you know, um, yeah. I, I, you know, I wouldn't post yeah, as many selfies if I didn't like yeah. that right. to some degree. But um, right. also, I mean, I'm, I'm aware that I did just say men, and you know, it's not just men who are chasers. You get some really, really, you know, some of the some of the creepiest stuff ahead is actually from cis women who have a weird obsession. With, with trans women as well and it's uh, I'm, you know I'm not sure there's an answer to that other than well again what we're doing is, is, is exactly the same thing we're trying to impose a sort of coherent framework on something that is of its necessity not very coherent but all, all I can say is that you, you sort of know the difference between a message from someone who is genuinely interested in you and someone who's just you know thinks that you're a you know a hot tranny basically you know to use the T-slur in a, you know in a context that I you know um, giving it's a demonstration yeah yeah I know you know you you can use slurs about yourself you know that's that's you can use those that's fine yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Here I am, the cis man giving you permission. <laughs> I wouldn't normally use it, but it's the, you know, that's, there's no other way of describing that kind of objectification that I can think of other than, you know, that's what they're thinking. You're yeah. an objective fetish. They're gonna, they're gonna other you, and they're gonna, you know, it's a derogatory word that they're yes. using in their head. And yeah. if they're feeling attracted to someone in a derogatory way, then yeah. that's it's different from being attracted yeah. to someone in a kind of S and M way. Yeah. Of like that, that, that's not derog. I don't think that's derogatory. No. Well, and I think Chelsea Poe, who's a trans porn performer, has been doing a lot of stuff on this with trying to get porn sites to stop using not so much the T-slur, but to stop using the the she-male phrase in in a lot of their marketing because that's really othering. And and also, weirdly, I mean, if you look... It's always weird looking at that kind of stuff because you you do come across it, obviously, and there is a really interesting book by um, a novelist called uh, Casey Clare, which is called um, A Safe Girl to Love, which I'm reading at the minute. So it's a collection of short stories, and one of them is about a trans woman who actually has to make her living by doing that sort of stuff. And, and doing like video cam stuff and, and, and having to, you know, accommodate that kind of fetishized interest in being a woman but having a penis. And, and 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 the physical effects of that, the fact that, 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 that doing that stuff on camera for people actually physically hurts because of the effect of the hormones on, on that stuff. And I kind of, it's, I'm, I'm rambling here because this is something... You're still thinking about yeah, and processing yeah, and considering. Yeah, but I, I kind of, I think there's there's that kind of othering and, and the kind of, the, the, the kind of porn, the, 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 there's porn that features trans women that is really, really good and is stuff like what Chelsea Poe is doing and what Drew DeVoe is doing to a certain extent, which is, which is a, a lot of the, 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 the queer and more alternative stuff is, is fine in that respect. When you get the stuff that's really, you know, othering and is focused almost entirely on, you know, the genitalia, 
that's like really, really weird stuff. No, no, I'm not. It, 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 I feel really weird looking at that stuff right. because it triggers. It's, I find it massively triggering of my dysphoria. Right. Because I don't like being reminded of that, which is another reason why it's really you know being pursued by guys who are obsessively into that is bad. Because again, it's it's it, it's a reminder of the fact they're only interested in you because of that and so they're only in for the beginning of the transition if you, if oh, you yeah. do if you, and not, not all trans yeah. people uh, transition no, this physically is, and, and, not and there's loads yeah. of different uh, options people have yeah. but if, you know, if someone has that attitude it means they're not going to stay with you yeah yeah, yeah. There, there, there's, there, there's a very definite kind of fetishization of, and, and maybe that's part of it, it's being reduced to a, a part of your body, which is the same for, you know, cis, for, for, for all women in terms of being reduced sometimes to just your breasts, or sometimes reduced to just your legs, or, or you know, your butt, or your back, or anything like that. And while on the one hand it's nice to be complimented for that as well, it's also nice to, for it to be recognised that, you know, I mean, I have that line in, in one of the poems, that, you know, if, if, if a chick has dick plus tits, who gives a shit about her intellect? And it, that's kind of me summing that up. Like, yeah. to these guys, it doesn't matter how, you know, whatever else is going on with me, it's just like, you know, hey, you're a woman with a cock. Yeah. And like, yeah. And that's all you are to, and that, that actually, that was a, that, that line I found really particularly like in like I hadn't thought of, like so I'm very familiar with the idea that we don't think of cis women like society treats cis women as having no intellect they're just bodies yeah um, but I hadn't I hadn't thought of that element actually yeah. I mean and, and which is not, I mean I'll, I'll, I'll have thought of things around that I, yeah. I, I you know I, I have tra I have trans yeah. friends and yeah. I, uh, I read a lot of trans issues but I had th th that phrasing just like went yeah. whoa right yes I see that yeah. actually I can you know and and you know as a as a as a as a, as a cis man almost the and it's not and it's not a similar struggle it's not an equatable struggle but the the, the almost the struggle is like you 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 and this is a massively privileged thing to say, but it's, it's, it's like you're, you're thought of as an intellect rather than as a physical body. Like, I, 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 and, and I'm not saying that's, I'm not saying that's comparable. I'm not saying, hey, I wish I was yeah. like, if I had, I, I, you know, there's a, there's a midpoint yeah. somewhere in the middle. There's, yeah, there, there, there is a certain, to, to a certain extent, yes, the fact that you're, you're not as embodied and that can be oppressive in its own way. Yeah. Whereas women, differently I mean, and much you know, lesser. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the trans misogyny is to a large extent just a subset of conventional misogyny. So right. it's the same. That idea of being reduced to just that particular part of your body is, is the same as, as as any other part of the body for cis women. It's the same as that thing about being reduced to just your wardrobe, to just how you dress. Yeah, hipsters. Yes, <laughs> I know. I feel no, that I've, I've oppressed hipsters in this discussion, and I really I would like to apologise <laughs> deeply and from the bottom of my heart to the hipster community for any harm I may have caused them. Yeah, that, that reductionism, uh, again, it, we seem to keep circling around this idea that it's, it's when you reduce things that you have the problem. Yeah, um, right. And there can be two ways of reducing things. There, there can be refusing to accept a label that someone chooses to apply to themselves, and then there can also be imposing labels on people that they haven't accepted. 
yeah yeah, yeah that's a, a really good summation really of yeah. really where we've been talking ar- ar- around throughout this conversation yeah. yeah it's been a real pleasure getting better Thank acquainted you. with you Thanks. it's obviously this isn't the only time I've got better acquainted with yeah. you over the last few days and initially like it felt I, I was like very aware that I kept seeing you and then having to do other things yeah. and I was like oh god like is she gonna think I'm like blanking her and all of this yeah, stuff because no, no. I'm just a neurotic well, mess that's no, how I that's, live my yeah, life yeah. <laughs> no that I mean that's part, that's, that's part of the whole fringe experience right it's like you, you do see people and you, and you do have to be off and getting to other things I, again I, I think this is one of the, I'm only doing a short run at the fringe I think this is one of the ways in which it's probably easier if you are here doing longer runs yeah. is because you just you just do get used to that I remember the first couple of days it felt weird to be doing that and to be having to do that to other people myself right, right. Um, because I would be thinking the same thing I would be thinking oh god this like you, you wind up hanging around people and sort of checking your watch and when you've got to be places yeah. and just like and you're, you're sort of thinking please go I have to be somewhere but I don't want to end this conversation right. and I think you just if, if you're here for a longer period of time you just get used to the fact that everyone has to be somewhere else so yeah absolutely um, yeah. so the last thing that I ask is do you have anything to plug so this ah, isn't going to yes. go out at, during the festival yeah. so with that in mind Okay, well, depending on when this goes out, I have done two pamphlets of poetry so far. Um, a Lady of a Certain Rage, which you can order online, although that's through Lulu, and it's my understanding from people who talk to me that they really, really kill you on the shipping, so it's easier probably to buy that from me at gigs. There's also Names and Songs of Women, which is something I only sell at gigs. Uh, I did an album uh, a while ago called The Gunshots Which Kill Us Are Silenced, um, which you can get on Bandcamp. In the future, depending on when this goes out, um, in October and November I'm doing something called Public Address 3, which is the third public address tour that Apples and Snakes have organised. Hannah Silver, who's an absolutely amazing poet who's doing fantastically odd creative things with spoken word, is producing that. There are some really amazing other poets involved in that tour. Uh, There's a a woman called Jasmine Gardosi uh, from Birmingham who is just um, absolutely amazing. I've seen some of her poems and she is just really, really on point and and powerful in terms of how she performs. Uh, Henry Raby from York is involved in that. Uh, There's Justin Coe from Brighton. She goes to Iqbal from Bristol. And, and, and various people are involved in that. It's a series of performances which, which, which form part of a show. The thing I'm doing at that is very, very different. You're talking about um, being involved with, with the audience contributing to the show. The thing I've worked out for this relies very much on audience contributions. I'm not going to talk about it too much right now. Right, because it would be a spoiler, right? It would be a bit of a spoiler, yeah. But I think if people come to that, it is me on stage, it is me talking, there is an element of me doing doing poetry that is very much in the same continuum of what I used to do, but what the audience will be being asked to do while I'm doing this is going to be very odd. And yeah, I can't say too much except that one of our main issues is... Well, it's interesting that I was talking about that ketchup blood distinction because one of the things we're thinking about using for it is we're thinking of using ketchup. And that's all I'll say at this point. There's also, I'm doing Queer Say at the, uh, the Queer Contact Festival in Manchester next year. I think is in February. I think that's about it. Probably the easiest way for people to actually stay in touch with me to look me up on Twitter. As long as you aren't really creepy, I promise not to block you. Um, if, um, I'm, I'm Anathema Jane on Twitter because that's what the A and the J stand for uh, in my name. I am on Facebook as well as Anathema Jane McKenna. I did want to just be AJ McKenna on Facebook, but then they got me with the real name policy. And I kind of keep wanting them to come after me for saying Anathema because, like, you know, it, it sounds sort of like a fake name, but it is my name. That's the name of my deed poll. So if 
they try, I'm just going to be like, yeah, that's my name, Facebook. I have, I've currently been running two blogs. I've been running a blog for How the Banty, which is my Edinburgh show. And I run a, a blog of my own that's been going for a while, which is called Wrestling Emily Dickinson, which is a reference to a really, really obscure 1990s film and to the, uh, the incredibly introverted poet. Because when I started doing it, it was during a really, really introverted phase of my life. And the idea initially behind choosing that title was that I kind of had to overcome this tendency to just want to stay in my house a la Emily Dickinson uh, right. and come out. It's an increasingly inaccurate title, but I, I, I am introverted. I do, I do have to still fight that urge to stay in a lot of the time. If you put AJ McKenna YouTube in, there is, at this point, there is about an equal chance that you will find either me or a guy who's also called AJ McKenna, who's a quarterback for an American football team. <laughs> I'm not the person throwing a ball in a helmet. I'm the person standing reciting poetry. Um, I think that's everything. I did start a Tumblr for the Edinburgh show, but I started neglecting that very quickly. And I did, I, ha I have a, a Pinterest that I bought, but I'll just use that to create mood boards for shows. Anathema Jane on Twitter is probably the easiest way to find me. Brilliant. And the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Oh, uh, uh, goodbye audience, and I, I hope you enjoyed the, the, the varied soundscape of the coffee shop situation, and I hope you got the coded references during the sex shop discussion. Thanks. <laughs> Bye everybody. <laughs> so one extra plug to add to all of AJ's, me and AJ are doing a double bill show in London on the 19th of November. It's a stand-up tragedy presents night at the Dog Star in Brixton. Doors open at 7.30 and it is pay what you like or what you can afford. Come to see my show, What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity, which starts at 8 o'clock. And then stay on for AJ's show, Howl of the Banty, at 9.15. Those are both of the shows that we were talking about in this conversation. If you want to find out more about My Edinburgh Show, go to www.mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk and over there you'll also find the survey of a thousand men that I did as part of the research for the show, which is in many ways a thing in its own right and deserves to be seen just as much if not more than the show so go along and check that out and the other upcoming plug from me is that stand-up tragedy tragic autumn is happening at the hackney attic on the 16th of october the doors open at 7 30 tragedy starts at eight o'clock we've got three acts of tragedy it's going to be a really great night i really suggest you coming along that one isn't pay what you like. That one is £5 in advance, £7 on the door. So get some more tragedy in your life. Fill your autumn with tragedy. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted. <laughs>